What I'd like to do this morning is just talk through the passage of Scripture that I preached on last week and make some, make some notes. And I want to look at the larger, the larger context. I spoke about trials and faith being tested in the main message last week, and I, there's a lot more in this first section of James chapter 1 that I'd like to point out. <clears throat> And so, looking here at James chapter 1, this will be our text this morning. So, James chapter 1, and we'll look at the first 16 verses or so this morning. Let's just read the, let's read the whole passage and set the context today. James chapter 1, verse number 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren... Count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Now, did you notice here in verse number two, you see, my brethren, count all joy when you fall into diverse or different kinds of temptation. And now we're back here again at verse number 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. So it's picked up the same theme. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So we see now a different kind of temptation, a different kind of trial. This is the temptation of, with evil, the temptation of sin. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you so much for the time that we have today. I pray that you'd encourage our hearts, keep us fully engaged and attentive this morning to what you have for us in your word. And I pray that, um, that our, we would be encouraged. Lord, I pray that we'd be strengthened through the reading and the study of your word today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, there's 
really in this passage several themes that you could find. In fact, why don't you take a minute and let's kind of talk through this. Take a minute, look through the verses that we read. Just kind of do a quick scan of this passage. And I already pointed the one out to you. There's this theme of this theme of trials and temptations and different kinds. What other themes do you see as we as we look through this passage today? I'm gonna just sip my coffee a couple times and maybe that'll give you time to work your way up. I've got one I think ready to answer, but I want to sip again just so we can get them all cued. We'll get a cue of comments all kind of stacked up there. Okay, now now hands are moving. But Charlie's hand was first. What's a theme that you saw in here? God, where do you see that from? Verse 5. Yeah, isn't it interesting how multiple themes come up over again? So there's the gift in verse number 5 that God is giving wisdom. And then what was the other verse? It's the verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Yeah, so there's a theme of God as the giver of gifts in here. What's another theme that maybe stood out to you? in here, a theme through this passage. Did you have one, Danielle? Contentment is a theme. In what ways? Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a lot there. It's contentment. So we saw here that you need to be, in verse number two, you need to have joy in your life, even if you're facing temptation and trial. And then don't get all worried about poverty poverty and riches down in verse number, what was that? That was in, uh, I guess, verse number nine. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he's made low. Somebody else, what's the theme that you saw in here, Patrick? Yeah, and actually, I think the greater theme, I think the overarching theme of the passage is this idea of temptations and trials and difficult life circumstances, and then these sub-themes are woven in. So in the temptation, what is God's sanctifying work in this? One is to teach contentment. One is to rely on the good gifts that he gives, right? And if you put that contentment and the gifts together, like Charlie's talking about how he sees this, the idea of God as a gift giver, Danielle points out that the this contentment, yeah, I need to be content with the gifts that God gives me as I go through the, t- the trials and the temptations in life. So these are definite themes. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. This idea that of personal responsibility, right? So I'm responsible for my sanctification. Yeah. Somebody else, something that you picked up in here, Cal. I see different ways we can handle temptation. Verse 7, or verse 8, this is a double-minded man. <clears throat> so kind of like we dabble in temptation, we dabble in um, not. And then verse 13, there's a person blaming God. Yeah, so, so we, we shift the blame. And then in verse 24. You got a three-point sermon ready to go, man. What's verse 24? <laughs> there's a... Looking in the mirror and not in the mirror. 
Oh, so you're even going beyond our, our reading today. Yeah, absolutely. So the different ways to deal with temptation. Yeah, that's really good. Um, what else? Somebody else? You see something in here. We covered a lot there. So I, again, I would say the overarching theme here is how do you handle, you know, where do you get your strength? Where does your strength come from in the different kinds of trials that you face in life? So let me ask you this. Really, I think, and, and what I want to kind of focus in on to kind of put all that together and walk us through this for a few minutes is that, if, that the theme of the book of James is real faith, a faith that changes your life. It's, it's, the book of James is, has the passage, faith without works is dead. You say you have faith, you say you have works. Well, really, the truth is you put those together and you show your faith with what? With your, with your works, with what, you, with what you do. Now, it's not us that does it. It's the Holy Spirit that does it. But a real faith produces results. It's really the overall theme of the book of James. And it's introduced here in the fact that if a person has a real faith, that real faith in, in God is what is going to get them through all the different kinds of temptations. So let's start there. So in verse number, um, in, in the first, in the second verse, I guess, this counting it joy being being glad for your trials, based on what we've read already, what are the different types of trials? I mean, we could, we could talk about all kinds of types of trials, but what are some of the types of trials that are referenced even just in this scripture here? Like that, are, he says, count it out. What are the trials that even here that we would have to deal with? Kathy? Your faith? Yeah, just keep on trusting. That's a trial in and of itself. What else in here? Yep. Dealing with false teaching. Okay, dealing with false teaching, hearing things that, yeah, that would be definitely a trial. What else? Temptation. Huh? Temptation. Temptation. Yeah, so later on we see there's going to be the trial of being tempted by sin. What else in here? It's even a unique trial. Yeah. How about this? How about like decision making, right? The, the, like the trial of making wise, the, tri- the, the, the difficulty that comes with, you know, that double-mindedness and which direction do I go, which way do I turn. Yeah, that's, we face difficult situations where we have to make important decisions, and that can be a trial, a testing of our faith. Which, which way will I go? Wow. What else? Anything else would be a temptation here for trial in the passage? Trial of all who he thinks more of himself than he is. Yeah, the trial of pride, temptation to pride, and along with that, the, tr- the temptation to materialism, I think, or covetousness, right? There's a unique temptation mentioned in this passage about, you know, you look at the, the or the opposite. If you're not in financial prosperity feeling, that, so the one, the, the trial of materialism, that's I have so much money, and then the trial of poverty, I wish I had more money, those are trials the temptations that come. Did you, was a hand over here somewhere? You made that point. Got it? Okay, cool. We're on the same wavelength. Yeah. I don't want to sidetrack. No, go ahead. But um, in, the, in, the, in the beginning of our passage, fall into diverse temptations. And then later on, temp, it's, it talks about, it seems like, two, and I think you touched on this, there's two different meanings for temptation. Sure. And in the first, it's, it's kind of a trial. Of yeah. Your faith, and in the second, it's a it's an enticement to sin. Right. 
Is, is it the same word in the original, or is it just translated into English in the same word? I think it, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. We, I could look it up. I think it's the same word. Um, I, I believe it is. I'll double check on that right after the lesson. It'll take just a minute to, to find that. But I think it is, and I think it's literally just used the same way we use it, you know? Yeah, we, we generally use it in the second sense, right? In the temptation. Right. Tempted to do something wrong, we don't typically use it as a as a trial to try your faith, which right. isn't necessarily temptation to sin. I guess it's right. just added some confusion in the past to me when I when I've read that. Yeah, and I would I would say that um, the idea here of it, it has to be to it has to be using the word differently because if you notice, like I I have a a paragraph structure Bible because um, you see in verse number two it introduces one paragraph type which is count it joy when you fall into diverse temptations knowing this the trying of your faith worketh patience so there's this hopeful joy entering this kind of temptation right but then uh, verse 12 shifts to a new paragraph blessed is that man that endure um, that endureth endureth temptation for when he is tried, um, he shall receive the crown of life. But now, verse number 13, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. Um, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So I think it's just like the Job's temptation. And in, in, when Job was tempted, he was tempted in both regards, right? He was tempted both to, both to, uh, with difficulties in his life, but he was also tempted with, to sin against God. Yeah. I don't know that I've got the best answer for that. I think you and I are probably stuck. We're probably stuck in the same spot, to be honest with you. Okay. So what we're talking about is there's these different types of temptations and trials. So, and he does say, and we spent a lot of time on this last week, be glad for your trials. Now let's see if we can think through it. What is the point in verse number two, count it all joy, when you fall into temptations, um, what, what is the reason? You tell me, rather than me tell you, let's draw it out of the text here. Why should we be glad for the trials? Jim. Because the continual temptation for any particular sin in our life, we gain strength to, uh, to endure it, and uh, ourselves and, and to not submit to that. Right. So that there's a spiritual strengthening that takes place in our lives. And I, and I think the, you know, the whole idea, I mentioned this last week, that God doesn't give us more than we can handle is really a, that's not true. But at the same time, there is, there is some, there's some truth to the statement in the sense that God knows where we're at in our spiritual journey, right? And, the, and God's plan is not to derail us, right? The, the goal of God isn't to be like, all right, let's really put him to the test and see if this will make him walk away. He knows. Like, for instance, he knew why Job, he knew Job could handle the temptation. He knew where Job was at spiritually. So there is that, that balance, that that. We will not be suffered to be tempted above what we're able, but God will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape. So 
One of the reasons we can be joyful is because there is a, there's a personal, there's a personal spiritual strengthening that happens. Are we going to add to it, Jim? Job, that we probably that God and Satan go through the same thing with all of us. What do you mean? Uh, Satan woke up, approached God at the throne, and say, "Hey, remember Jim did stumble over here?" Right. Let's try him again. Let's tempt him. Yeah. I bet you he'll walk away again. And particularly along with what Jim's saying is that the, the word is it brings endurance. And we talked about that. That's the Greek word that it literally means to remain under, to be under a heavy load and to be patiently. You, um, patience is endurance. It's, it's this idea to persevere, to, to be strengthened. Why else should we be, why else should we count it all joy? What else happens in the trial? What else happens in the trial? Yeah. Just kind of a sign that you're doing something right. That's true. Because if you're not walking with God, then what point would temptation really have? Yeah. The trials and tests are evidence that, you know, there was a reason that Satan marked Job, right? There's a reason, because Job was living for the Lord. And Paul reminded Timothy, listen, everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So, yeah, that's really good. That's, that's true. And that's one of the reasons it's the evidence that there's a real spiritual battle going on in your life. Why else can we count it joy? We fall into the temptation. Perfection. Because it's moving us to perfection. What is perfection? To be complete in Christ. You know, I want endurance, but before I can have endurance, I have to last through the trials hanging on to my faith. Right. Looking to the Lord. And that idea, you notice that in verse number... Um, verse number three, trying of your faith brings patience, but then verse four, then patience brings perfection. And I think a great way to think of perfection, I think the verse actually defines it for us, that ye may be perfect and entire, and then what's it say? Wanting nothing. In other words, lacking nothing. I don't lack anything. The idea of, of perfection or completion is in Christ is when we're at that point spiritually where we are fully and completely dependent on them. Is it possible to be perfect as a Christian? Trick question. Yes. Is it possible to remain perfect in your Christian life? I don't think so. But it is possible to be perfect, to be at that place in that moment when I am fully dependent, completely filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible teaches us that we'll, we'll wrestle with the flesh. And so we'll yield to the Spirit, we'll yield to the flesh. But when you are yielded to the, when you are yielded to the Spirit, you're perfect in Christ. Perfect in Him. You don't need anything else. That's a really cool thought. If you just, just stop on that, for, just focus on that. You're like, oh, well, I've only been a Christian for, you know, a little while. Well... God is giving you a trial to prove your perfection. God allows the trial to prove that when you rely on Him, it's all you need. You're there. Just, you know, park that one and meditate on that a little bit later on. Why else should we joy? I think there's more in the passage. Actually, you've got to skip ahead, though. I think there's another reason. If you look down a little bit further in the, in the text, I think there's another reason 
that we can rejoice in the temptations and in the trials. Not just because it makes us personally stronger, like Jim said, not just because it's an evidence of our walk with God, like Adam said. I think there's one more thing. Yeah. Job, since he's in sore boils all over himself, he, he rejoices that it's not going to be forever. Okay, yeah. There's a joy in knowing that, that there is an end to it. Yeah. Why else, though, like rejoicing in the trial itself? What is, what is happening? There's something else that's happening. People are seeing you go through it. The way you handle it is an evidence of, of your faith. So there's a testimony for others. Yeah, I think that that's not where I was headed, but I missed that one. You're absolutely right. That through your, we have the whole book, the whole chapter of Hebrews 11 to tell us about people who endured trials that we can look to and be encouraged. Yes, sir. Well, I was going to say that God says God will not tempt you above that which you're able to handle. So. Yeah. Right. He must be giving me enough grace. There, so there's something else that kind of carries off of that. Yep. I don't know if it's what you're going for, but to me, it's it's at the end of that where if you're not uh, enticed away, you get every good gift and every perfect gift. So that's that's another good one. I, I wasn't headed there, but that's that's a great point that it's through that that the gifts and the grace, the, the riches of his grace. Yeah. He, yeah. You know, in 84, it talks about the Lord takes us from strength to strength. That's where he's talking about the blessings of those who dwell in the house of the Lord, those who walk in his ways. Yeah. That they go through a valley and the Lord brings the rain and fills the pool. Right. That there's, there's a real blessing that there's strength. There's another psalm that talks about streams in the desert. That in the desert, the street. So you see, you even in the trial, you taste the goodness of God. Yeah, that's really good. There's more, though. There's another one. You guys keep coming up with new ones, which is great, because there's one I was thinking of, though. But I don't want to. Maybe we'll come up with some more before there. So hopefully you don't get the one I was going for. We receive life. The crown. Okay. This crown of life concept. Okay. Here's what I see from this. One of the things that we should be joyful about our trials is that our trials are an opportunity for the glory of God to be magnified. There's going to be a crown of life that's given. We've been studying the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights, and we saw the idea of the martyrs and the crown that they receive and all of the, all of the trials and the difficulty that they went through, and then there's this glorious celebration. We also see in the, early in the book of Revelation, the four and tw- 20 elders, they have the crowns on their heads. What do they do with the crowns? They cast him at Jesus' feet as if to say, by implication, I've received this crown, but I don't, I don't deserve it. Because who gave me the ability to endure? Who gave me the strength to persevere? It's all him. It's all for his glory. So you just think what's happening. You go through trials. You go through difficulties. We're, we are going to, it's just an opportunity to greater magnify and greater reflect the glory of God through all of eternity. And to take that crown of life and to give it back to the Lord and say, you're the one that sustained me. You're the one that gave me the endurance. So for all of these reasons, not just for us, but for the glory of God, 
how was God, I mean, just think of how magnificently God was glorified in Job's life. And who witnessed all of that? Satan? But in a, but in a more, and again, we're focused very much on our perception of things. We forget sometimes that there's an, an, entirely, an entirely different group of beings. Yeah. The heavenly host, the angelic beings that are just as much a part of God's creation as we are. But we forget about them sometimes. Sometimes we think it's like, you know, God. And the, but God is all of creation, human, natural, nature, and the angelic beings all exist for the glory of God. I mean, God has, God has angels that, that are worshiping him constantly, magnifying his glory, and they witness. The, the, the Bible talks about, there's several passages that talk about the fact that the angels are, are witnesses to what God is doing among humanity. And all of that, I believe that our lives even cause the angels to worship God in a greater way. So all of this is for his glory. Now, you may think, and people struggle with this, they may think, well, man, God is doing all of this for his glory. It means even our suffering is for his glory. It seems kind of, it, it, it's, it's, some people would question the goodness of God, right? And say, well, why, why would he do that, right? Or he created us only for him. Well, there's a couple of things that you have to get a hold of. Well, how would you answer that? If somebody said, boy, sounds like a pretty selfish God who would you know, allow people to endure all these trials and difficulties just so that he would get glorified, how would you answer that? You're having coffee with your unbelieving friend, and they challenge you. Because everything I just said sounds really good in Sunday school, because we all believe the same things, right, for the most part. But if somebody challenges that, yeah, Ernie? Uh, I would probably tell them, God could have made us a robot, or use artificial intelligence to make us... Uh-huh. Our strengths, sure. Because loves us free will. Right. And free will. Right. But why send the trials? Why send the... Because why make it so hard? Why make it so hard? Discipline our children. Tell them don't touch the house. Don't play in the street. Protect yeah. them for their own good. Yeah. But he, put, he turned the hot stove on. I would like to hit... It's not a perfect analogy, but I would like it to uh, uh, athletics or boxing, like somebody training for boxing. Mm. The the you know when you're doing the jump rope, it's painful, and when you're whatever the push-ups are, are hard. But it's it, it but it is to there are trials there that are conditioning you to give you endurance and strength and, and carry on. And yes, in the end, it's it's not maybe for your glory, but it's for the glory of the team or the. Yeah, no, that's a that's a perfect analogy, but I think well, I I also just threw you on the spot to come up with it like that. But I I like that. Yes, ma'am. Live in a sinful world from the beginning is it's a sinful world. Things happen. We don't control it. How do we handle it? It's our our free will. But how does that relate to the story of Job? Because God just allowed extra stuff to happen in Job's life. That wasn't just random free will happening. That was, yes, go ahead. 
pour the affliction on him. He still made choice. He made choice. He he chose how to handle it. He chose to still love God in spite of his yeah. wife and his friends. But most people would say what Job's wife said. Why serve a God like that? I mean, it's Job's wife's response is exactly what we're kind of talking about. Frank. I, I think that uh, the Lord has given us free will. Mm -hmm. And in, in, in doing that, giving us free will, we can make the decision whether to uh, glorify him, to honor him. And I, I kind of think that uh, his plan was to build perfection in us. And uh, how, do you, how does somebody become perfected? How does somebody become perfect? Uh, by having trials, tribulations, and dealing with them. And the Lord is still there to help us go through these, but he gives us these trials and tribulations. To work perfection for his glory. You might be on to something there. I, I think that's, yes. I remember when I was in the Army, when you go through basic training and all that and everything, you know, you, you know they're, they're fine when you have actual gunfire fighting over your head and you got to crawl up under it and so on so on. They're teaching you to, when you get to the real situation that, that uh, you're through trials and errors like that, you know, basic training, you're working out of your back. Right. All of these are really helpful, but the, again, the big, the big issue here, if somebody's challenging the views, it's like, the big issue is, yeah, but God allowed me to go, God allowed this person to go through far more difficulty than this person, right? Like, he could have said, no, don't do this to Job. He could have said, no, don't, don't do this to Job. I'm not going to allow that, right? But he didn't. We'll go to Bill. Of his sufferings, we experience a fraction of what Jesus did for us and can appreciate it. So. Wow. The fellowship of the sufferings, that's interesting. Amen. Travis. Sin is different. Not all sin is the same. Yeah. Not everybody's trial is the same. Not everybody comes to know the Lord the same. And only the Lord knows how we can bring people to Him through different trials and through different tests and life challenges. Everybody's going to come to the Lord in different ways. Right. And only He knows that. So it's, it's, it's your choice with free will what path you want to take. I think there's an element from what you're saying there, and I, and I think this kind of, and everything that's been said has been very helpful in contributing to this. But I think what we need to, one thing to, to pick up where Travis left, just left off is in the eternal, the, the, the concept of the eternal wisdom of God that we cannot comprehend and the good creation of God. And by that I mean this. Who knows what is best for the creature? The creator does. And this is where there is an element of we just have to accept it. Now, well, what about that idea that for the glory of God, so that, well, but he's doing this all for his glory, isn't that kind of a selfish, isn't that kind of a selfish motivation? What would you say to that? Absolutely. Absolutely what? It's a selfish motivation. It's God-centered for his own glory. Okay. But doesn't that seem to go against what else God teaches us? 
Okay, say, say that, explain that. He's working. So what does that mean? It means that he is good and he is holy and he, he's the only one worthy of all of the glory. It's not selfish if it's deserved. It's not selfish if it's deserved, if it's what makes the universe right, right? Because he is supreme, he is good. It's only fitting for him to be glorified. Now add this, if you were created, and this is where the, you know, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. If you were created to give glory, where will you experience your greatest joy, fulfillment, and satisfaction? By doing what? By giving glory. By giving glory. Now, I don't endorse this author. A lot of, I, I have a very different theological frame of mind than this author, so I'm just going to say that disclaimer. But one of the Christian pastors and writers that has talked about this a lot is Pastor John Piper. And... Uh, He's very much a, a, a staunch Calvinist. I don't, I don't ascribe to that theology. But he's done a lot of writing and biblical explanation to show people, hey, if you were created to glorify God, then how will you enjoy your life the most? By doing what? Glorifying him. In fact, he came up with this term back in the 90s. He called it Christian hedonism. What is hedonism? Pleasing yourself. Live to please yourself. Live to please yourself. Live to please yourself. He said, if you are, if you follow, if you believe the Bible, then you can be a Christian hedonist. Live to please yourself by doing what? By pleasing God. And, and he got some people criticized him for it, you know, but he was just trying to like have a little shock value to get people thinking and just to trust this that I was created to glorify God. And rather than try to figure out all on my own, like, but it hurts, but this hurts, but that hurts, you will, we will experience the greatest existence we could possibly imagine. You could not, and this is just comes to the part of trusting God, you could not create a better path for your life than the one that he has for you. And I shouldn't say life, eternity. And if it means that suffering is part of a glorious eternity that I will enjoy forever, I don't have to understand it all because I can just trust the goodness of God, that his glory is supreme. I was created for his glory. So if that means I need to go through some conditioning to perfection, if that means I need to go through some trials that don't feel good, I just got to believe that eternity is glorious. I've just got to trust God. That's why I can count it joy. Yes, sir. Yeah. That, that's Christian hedonism right there. If I'm in line with the will of God, he's going to give me the desire of my heart. Exactly. I'm desiring what he wants. Right. Yes, sir. Uh, I've been thinking about this a little bit. I think in some ways it's like having, we're like a leash pet. A leashed pet. Uh, God, God knows our weakest strength, and uh, when we're new, we have a very short length of our leash. Mm. That, but as we grow, God allows us 
more like to be able to go out on that leash a little farther and bother to. Look at Second Corinthians really quick. This is I just want you to see this. I would I would circle, underline, mark this one because you'll want to turn here. If anybody ever asks you that question, we're going to share in that glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4.17. Now, in the passage, he's dealing with suffering, but look at verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it's temporary. We suffer temporarily. You see that there? Light affliction, but for a moment. We suffer temporarily. Now notice the verb. What's it say next? Is everybody in verse 17? Worketh. The light affliction, which is but for a moment. That's the subject of the sentence. This temporary light affliction is doing something. It's what? It's working. Who's it working for? Us. Does that mean we're always going to understand it in the moment? But the affliction, the suffering is working not just for God's glory, but for us. And what's it working? A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory that we will share. It's not just God's glory is not selfish, one, because it's deserved, but second, he's going to share that glory with us. He's going to dispense his glory to us for all of eternity. And the affliction that we go through is working for us, for our good and for his glory. That's why he says, hey, count it joy. Count it joy when you, when you suffer, when you go through trials, because this is what God is accomplishing for you. Yes, for him, but also for us. Got a minute and a half left. Any any final thoughts on that? The last verse I think is even better than that. Verse 18, we're talking about how... Go ahead and read it good and loud, Travis. Well, we look at not the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Hmm. It is better. Just right. you don't see it, doesn't mean it's not... Yeah, that's, that's kind of where... You got us on, on your question was we were all, I think I was anyways, and the answers were mostly focusing on our unbelievers' frame of mind, which is the here and now. And you've got to, when, when you broaden that into the eternity, then it kind of all came clear, at least mm. to me, that, yeah, yeah. That it is for his glory, but his glory in eternity is definitely our glory. Right. Sure. So, yeah, Major, you had something? Yeah, I think uh, it's good to pair the second Corinthians verse with uh, Romans 8 18, where I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the way we shall be with the Amen. Yeah. Amen. That's great. Dennis, did you have something? Yeah, that was you. That was you? All right. Oh, my heart is full after that conversation. <laughs> it's good. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Um, Charlie, would you dismiss us in, in prayer? Sure. Lord, we thank you for your word and uh, for your love. We uh, 
pray that you would give us each wisdom as we every time we look into your word. We thank you for the good discussion this morning. Please bless the remainder of our services today. We do pray that you would be honored through all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.